When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. All right, what an honor it is to spend a couple more hours with you. And I keep reading the news about the big announcement later tonight with President Donald Trump being able to give at least his intentions. As far as we know, he will follow through with it. I was reading a story from Axios that got into the mindset of why it was delayed to begin with. Originally, they said, or at least they speculated, some of his advisors have said, probably anonymously to Axios, but still, sometimes you can look at anonymous reports and say, yeah, that's probably what happened. He did not want to go out ahead of the midterms because he was afraid that there wouldn't be a giant red wave that a lot of people said would happen. And he kind of predicted this idea that if the midterms didn't go so well and he announced that he was running for president before the midterms, then it would reflect poorly on him and the power that he has as someone that's, you know, I wouldn't say the leader of the Republican Party anymore, but someone that has a lot of influence, particularly swaying elections. So he might be able to go to a certain place, put his name behind a candidate, and it helps them. doesn't always work, and maybe it doesn't work as good as it used to. The special announcement, do you think anything changes after tonight? So hypothetically, I think all odds are that he's going to announce that he is going to run for president in 2024. Do you think anything changes after tonight? I don't know if too much will change. I think it's different than 2016. Well, you know what? It's very similar to 2016 in some ways. So here's the number, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. Do you remember when he ran for president for the 2016 term. So he went around. Everyone said he was a joke. They said they laughed him off the stage, right? All the commentators said he's got no chance. What happens this time around? Do they say the same things about him now? Well, not exactly. Like, they say he's got a chance. I think more or less the question is, should he run, as opposed to will he win or can he win, or is it even fathomable that he'll win? Uh, For me, I don't want to see him run. If I had my way... And President Donald Trump was listening to me right now, the former president of the United States of America. I would tell him that if you really want to help America, what you do is you try to form certain alliances by not running. And you gain your power that way. And you use the power that you have that way in order to influence that some of your policies continue to live on, as opposed to fighting and getting in these same old dogfights over and over and over again. It's got to be exhausting to do that. How about you come out while you're ahead and use that as a way to show that you still have a lot of sway even when you're not in office? That would be the right way to handle it. I think the announcement for him may be a starting line, but the thing I don't like about the announcement, at least when he probably says he's running for office again, is that all the criticisms that you remember from him will be fair game again. So what you saw were these kind of benign, small criticisms of some candidates. You know, he might come up with a name for someone. You know, these these little sprinkles of, you know, not like the worst insults in the world, but, you know, kind of like that's a little demeaning. Like, okay, why are you saying that? 
it's just going to get ramped up, and I, I don't want to return to that. I don't want to have to worry about whatever drama is going on in politics. Some people, and I think Elon Musk mentioned that a lot of people voted for Joe Biden, and the reason for that was because they thought he would bring less drama to the office. But, you know, he also brought terrible inflation. Uh, a lot of people's retirement savings are gone. They're worried about their homes. They're worried about their jobs as we see all these different layoffs going on. They look at how much money they're spending on energy, how much they're spending on groceries, the uncertainty of the way things are going, throwing money out that we don't have. You know, they look at all these other things and say, maybe the drama was worth it for the better economy and the better policies. But still, I think maybe some people looked at it and trusted that Joe Biden, as president of the United States, with less drama, would be able to run the country more effectively. But we're not seeing the country run in an effective way. It's actually the opposite. It's the same person, Elon Musk, who said, yeah, I'm going to throw my support behind uh, Joe Biden, now has gone back and said, you know, this is the first time ever I voted for a Republican in the midterms. He comes out and changes his tune on that. And look at all these big tech companies. 10,000 jobs lost with Amazon expected to drop more people, you saw Twitter, you saw Facebook, you see Google. All these giant companies are just dropping people. Even companies that you think would be ramping up for the holidays, dropping people. That's an indication things aren't going so hot. If you're running a company and you're running a family, that's not a great indicator. I think that's one of the strong suits that Donald Trump is going to probably hit on later tonight. How do you like your pocketbooks right about now? That's what he's going to do. Uh, so let's bring this up to you. 855-616-1620. Special announcement coming later tonight. Most likely Donald Trump is going to announce he's running for president again. Do you think anything changes after today? I, I really wish he wouldn't run for office again. I think maybe the only thing that changes is we're going to get more insults. And that's not really what I want. He would impress me. Maybe the bar is set low. But he would impress me if he changed his tune a little bit, came back with a resurgence as a different person. I don't know if that's possible with the type of personality he has, but maybe he would be a pleasant surprise and things will actually go well in that sense. I still think he would run the country better than Joe Biden, but still, I'm hoping he doesn't run for office. Maybe he'll surprise some people. Let's take some of your calls after the break. 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on the Jeff Wagner Show, WTMJ. WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. The special announcement teased by former President Donald Trump later tonight. I haven't seen an official start time for that. Luckily, I'm actually going to be on later tonight from 6 until 8. So we may actually be on the air tonight when the announcement comes out from Florida. So it'll give us more things to talk about tonight. Whatever that announcement may be, everyone's anticipating he's going to announce his presidential bid to run and try to get back into the White House couple of text messages that are coming in regarding Donald Trump. Uh, uh-oh, Trump hears you. Ryan Recker, of all things, is a loser. Low energy. Everybody is saying it. <laughs> Thank you for that text message. I don't really do a great Donald Trump impersonation. I wish I did a better one, but that one's pretty good. <laughs> uh, one person said the best thing that could happen is all the media wouldn't cover his announcement. No, I disagree with that. In fact, this is something that's newsworthy and should be covered. Maybe part of the problem is with a lot of the mainstream media and people that you've seen, they overamplify things that aren't true in speculation. Anonymous sources that don't pan out. They don't do a good enough job correcting the issue when it's wrong. And then the things that are honest, they hide. The whole Hunter Biden thing, for example. Maybe that's part of the problem. They have to look at the newsworthy nature of something like this. Running for president, former president, sure. Uh, let's take some of your calls and go to line one. Mike is calling in. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello. 
Good afternoon, Ryan. How are you? Hi, good. Go ahead. Um, I hope he doesn't say he's going to run. I would love it if he said, um, I'm not running, but I'm pulling my, putting my full support behind whoever gets the Republican nomination. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and I'm, I'm disappointed with that. Uh, the only positive I could see out of that is if he runs against DeSantis, it will show the difference between the two. However, if Trump did get the nomination, despite all his shortcomings, I do appreciate the, rant, the way he ran the country, and I would vote for him again. Yep. Uh, thank you very much, Mike. That's a good question. If you voted for Donald Trump in the past, would you vote for him again if he was the nominee? I would. I, I voted for him... Because, well, I mean, first off, him and Hillary was an easy choice. Him and Biden, it was an easy choice. Uh, If he was the nominee, I think I would vote for him again. I don't know who the Democrats would have to put up for me to not vote for him, honestly. I can't think of one that would sway my vote. So if he becomes the nominee, that's it. If you remember back in 2016, part of the issue was if whoever the nominee would be, are they going to support And if you remember, the Republican committee had to go around, talk to the candidates individually. They had these, like, loyalty pledges they were signing to make sure that Donald Trump, if, like, for example, he was not the nominee, wouldn't go in and try to completely bulldoze the Republican Party by, you know, running as an independent or something along those lines. They were very much worried of something like that. And eventually he did. One thing that I think you see with Donald Trump, and I'm going to go back to one moment during the presidential, at least the primary presidential debate. So he's all the Republicans were on stage. And there was a moment where Ben Carson was standing next to Donald Trump and they asked him a medical question and Ben Carson answered. Donald Trump answered and I can't remember exactly what the medical question was. But what Donald Trump said was what sounded like absurd, right? So the moderator went back to Ben Carson and said, hey, you're a doctor. What do you think about what Donald Trump just said? And then Ben Carson said, well, actually, there is studies that would indicate that this is true. So he didn't go and use it as an opportunity to attack Donald Trump. What happened after Ben Carson said that? Donald Trump looked over. I don't know if they meant to catch this on camera, but Donald Trump gave him a little fist bump. So I think the way you break the shell of Donald Trump is that you have to flatter him not attack him, but somewhat flatter him and say, no, he's right about these things. He's he's always been right about these things. Look at the way our country is today. It just proves he was right about these things. You don't have to necessarily go out and campaign with him. But if you are someone like DeSantis in Florida, don't start an all-out war with him because then you're just in the ditches. You're getting muddy. You're, you're not going to look great. No one's going to look great. It's going to rip the party apart. What you need to do is have that moment like Ben Carson had, Give him the fist bump and then be on your way. And I think that's what Donald Trump needs right now. And it would be wonderful if that's all it took to get him to not run for president again. All right, let's take some more of your calls and texts at 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Across Wisconsin to provide more support for family caregivers. It's chilly in Wisconsin, but for those who... And I'm Ryan Recker, filling in... Would love to hear from you on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. There was a great text message that came in. Uh, I want to get to that. We'll get to some more of your calls. Uh, One person said, part of the problem, this is on the text line, is this country is we keep going back to the same old, same old. What's the average age of our government? 70 years old. True. We have an aging 
group of people running for higher office. I get that. I mean, Joe Biden being one of them, but Donald Trump's not young either. But Donald Trump is young compared to Joe Biden, even though they're somewhat similar in age by a few years. One person said, I voted for him twice. I can no longer tolerate the childish air about him. I'm also thinking this is not the guy. I want to be overseeing something like Ukraine. I totally disagree with you on this one. I think Donald Trump actually got Ukraine right fairly early on. So we're throwing a lot of money at Ukraine, and rightfully so. We want Ukraine to come out the winner here. And we're at the point where we've thrown billions and billions and even dedicated more billions and billions of dollars towards Ukraine and to help them not only win the war between Russia, but also to help rebuild. So early on, we said that's the right thing to do. And it was the right thing to do. Now you have to ask the question, how long do you continue to do it? Early on, they asked Donald Trump, how do you handle Ukraine? His answer was, you have to negotiate. If Ukraine's got to give up some land to stop this war, that's what they got to do. We're going to sit them down and we're going to negotiate this thing. And you know what? As a statesman, he was 100% right. Do you want another endless war where we're throwing billions of dollars out the door to another country when we need it here in the United States? His solution to it, I think, is better than our endless bottomless pockets that continue to contribute to the problems we're running into today, financially speaking, with inflation. So let's go to some more of your calls. 855-616-1620. David from Appleton on the line. Welcome to WTMJ. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have a preference one way whether he runs or not. It's going to be what it's going to be. But the, the thing I have a hard time with is when he expects such loyalty from other people, and then the disloyalty he shows as soon as something doesn't go his way. Who in their right mind would want to be a running mate or a part of this guy's cabinet after Oof. he basically left his vice president for dead? You know, that's an interesting point. And I think even after he left office, you can look at the way lawyers refuse to work with him. <laughs> like, he's got a lot of legal issues. He couldn't even retain a lawyer long enough to have them represent him. And he had to go to some pretty second-rate Uh, individuals that have not done him well, like that did not look prepared in court. Uh, That's from an outside observation, sure, but that was widely reported. Now, if you can have a, if you have a hard time hiring lawyers with your money and you got money, uh, what do you think is going to happen when it comes time to serving in a cabinet again, knowing what we know of how they were treated before? Uh, That's a fantastic point that I think really needs to be said. So let's say he gets back into office. What does that cabinet look like? Um, Great point. Thank you very much for the call. I should point out, too, that the United States government, it's not like we have, you know, like like if there's a vacancy in a cabinet position or an office, there are people, highly trained and actually highly capable people that step into those roles and work those jobs behind the scenes. It's not like the office is empty and the lights are turned off and no one's doing the job. We're not talking like Pete Buttigieg or whatever when he left for a parental leave for months and no one knew he was gone and he's transportation director when we're having a a giant meltdown with our transportation and all of these ships that couldn't dock to get the goods off. You remember all of that mess? Uh, There's actually checks and balances in place with a lot of these cabinet positions where they have these highly trained you know, highly intellectual CEOs of companies and people that actually step in place to help for a very expensive fee, so the job doesn't just go dormant for a long period of time. So it's not like if you have turnover, it's going to cause a lot of problems. At least there's people to step in. So you can say that maybe in defense of people not wanting to work with him, but nonetheless, I think you want the stability of a good person in the position for a long period of time, and that's what you need to do. 
All right, let's take another phone call, 855-616-1620. Bob from Waukesha, welcome to WTMJ. Go ahead. Yes, you made a statement before. No, I, I don't care if Trump runs, but I don't think he should. He's not. Even Republicans aren't supporting him. Uh, you made a statement about <clears throat> you blame Biden because unemployment. Well, <clears throat> the only unemployment I've noticed is social media, Twitter and Google. And they both have come out and said the reason they have to lay off people is during the pandemic when people were at home, they had to put on more people because Twitter and Google were busy. Otherwise, I drive around I drive around Milwaukee, Waukesha area, and there's signs up all over the place. And another thing, you blame you Republicans blame Biden for inflation. Germany, Britain, Europe They've got all got inflation. Germany is eighteen percent. Is is Biden right? Is that Biden's fault for the Europe having inflation? No, the pandemic caused all this. Hmm. So why don't you I, you get know, your facts straight? Okay, I'll, I'll address that then. I will. And uh, do we have time? Okay, I'll just briefly address it. Then I'll address it a little bit more after because we have to go to news. Number one. When you're the United States of America dictating policy and spending so much money and just giving money out during all of these packages to the American people, that signal to all the other countries, oh, hey, America knows what they're doing. We're going to do the same thing, too. That has been widely agreed upon that the policies in the United States when it comes to stimulus packages were mimicked and copied by other countries thinking it wouldn't it add to inflation, much like the Biden administration promised it wouldn't add to inflation. They're talking about student loan forgiveness, promising it won't add to inflation. They're cutting energy availability in the United States, saying it won't. Uh, they Everything they say won't address inflation. Oh, nothing will. It'll be a negative. It'll actually help us in the long run. But look around, man. Things are not good right now, and inflation continues to stay high. People are excited for 8% inflation the number, 8%. Could you imagine that? Excited for 8% because it continues to go up and drops to 8%. This is a bad time for the United States. And it's mostly in part by the policies of the Biden administration who refuse to believe what they are doing is actually adding to inflation and the problem that we're running into it. So I don't know how you can look around right now and say things aren't bad with the economy and inflation. That's like a weird thing to say. And that's almost like a Biden talking point. I wish we had more time. Maybe we'll hit some of this after the break. Welcome back. I'm Ryan Recker. So many text messages coming in right now to 855-616-1620. Filling in for the Jeff Wagner Show. President Trump indicated that tonight was going to be a big announcement, a special announcement, as he said. I think everyone is assuming that he's going to announce his candidacy and he wants to run for 2024. The campaign would start technically tonight for him, if that's the case. Uh, I said I hope that's not the case. I hope he doesn't run for office. I hope there's ways that some of the other candidates can convince him and some of the other leaders in the Republican Party can convince him, flatter him, whatever it takes. Because I think someone like Ron DeSantis is a much stronger candidate after what he did in Florida, proving what he can do. So we'll see how that plays out. 855-616-1620. Some people, I'm looking at this right now. Uh, one person said, were the checks that Donald Trump signed during COVID a contributor to inflation? Oh, yeah. Oh, I think all of those... All of the money, all the checks, everything that went out to people, the safety net that was put into place for people losing their jobs because of COVID was based on a response the government was 
telling you to not work, essentially stay home. And if you do lose your job during a time like this, because we're telling you you can't open your business, then we're at least going to have some sort of safety net in place there. Uh, I think it was almost an, a necessity at first. But then what happens? How many other stimulus packages did we continue to uh, sign on after that? It continued on. Uh, we saw the extension with the child tax credit on when you filed for your taxes, if you remember that. And that's all because of after Donald Trump left office. We had that extra stimulus package that came through. We immediately start a war on energy, as in, hey, we need to look at things like the Green New Deal and all of these great energy policies of the future, no matter what the cost or what it does. And then immediately what you find is that the cost of living and everything else goes up when you artificially inflate and bring up energy prices across the board. Everything costs more when you even talk about the cost of transportation. All of these things came in based on the policies of Joe Biden. They've already been handing out checks, what we've seen, checks from uh, student loan forgiveness. This That started before all of this other stuff that's held up in court. They've already started giving money back on student loans. These are privately held uh, universities and things that were not, you know, public universities like we see with a lot of it. A lot of the, there's so much that factors into inflation, and a lot of it is looked at, I think, by the Biden administration as a necessary. They, they look at it and say, well, for the future of our kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids' kids, 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 kids. And, and they bring up the, the climate aspect of it and the social aspect of it, the social justice side of it, that they try to force this hand even when it's not necessary. And part of it is their justification saying, wouldn't you rather pay higher for gas prices? Wouldn't you rather pay higher for eggs and milk if that means our future is brighter? And then they put it on you and your pocketbook based on their decisions and say it has nothing to do with the things that they've done to contribute to the inflation. I mean, it's all a farce the way that they've try to give the impression that their administration has not contributed to some of the financial issues we're running into today. All right, let's uh, take some more of your calls. James from the South Side, welcome to WTMJ. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'm curious. I heard something uh, on the radio just recently, uh, and I'm, and I'm kind of curious about that. If the Republicans uh, should uh, bear, nearly, uh, barely uh, in the House and um, the Senate uh, retain them both. Would the speaker of the house could the speaker of the house be an outsider like Donald Trump, <laughs> or does, does the speaker? Uh, no, no. Wait a minute. What's, does the yeah. speaker of the house have to be from so, somebody being in politics right now compared to being an outsider like right. he, he was president? And that can would that happen that way? I don't know. I'm. I'm not, I heard something. Yeah, let me. Uh, so it's it's funny. I, I think you may have heard it on my show yesterday when I was filling in. I brought in my political historian. His name is Rich Rubino. If you go to WTMJ.com and listen to yesterday's show, you can probably catch that interview. But we brought him on specifically to ask that question. Is it possible? that could happen. And technically speaking, yes, it is possible. You don't have to be a sitting member of Congress to be Speaker of the House. Technically, there is this loophole that doesn't specify you have to be someone in Congress to be nominated. So technically speaking, they could bring them in for that. Now, what's the likelihood of that? 0.01%. It's so unlikely and so low that it's just practically, no, it's more of a thought experiment than anything else. But we have seen instances where there have been conflicts with the Speaker of the House. And if you want to listen to that interview from yesterday, I would recommend going to WTMJ.com and checking it out right there. All right, uh, the WTMJ talk and text line, we get so many text messages. I wish I can address all of these. 855-616-1620. And we're going to take a break. We can continue on this. I have a few other things I want to get to here, too. And we'll get an update on traffic as we're seeing that around the Milwaukee area. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. 
all these text messages coming in. I'm Ryan Recker. If you want to reach the show, WTMJ Talk and Text Line is 855-616-1620. I, um, wow, I, I thought we were having, you know, just kind of like a frank, honest conversation. Some people are so mean on the text line. It doesn't bother me. All it goes to show you is this is what happens when Donald Trump runs for office. People act the fool to people they don't know. <laughs> One text message that came in. Oh, I wish I could find it real quick. Um, it was about Russia in Ukraine. Okay, uh, okay. here's a text message. Since you feel Ukraine should give up land to stop the war, if Russia pushes us, should we simply give up Alaska? Love to hear, H-E-R-E, hear your answer on that. No, uh, we wouldn't give up Alaska. And there's a very simple reason. We can protect ourselves. We have the capability in the military to protect ourselves. And Russia would be making a huge mistake to be pushing a military invasion of the United States in, their, in the land occupied by the United States. Very simple answer to that. Ukraine has the ability to protect themselves to a certain extent, that they don't have a lot of the same equipment that is necessary to keep up. Now, keep in mind, Russia also overinflated the necessary equipment needed to invade a country, and they've done a terrible, poor job of uh, being able to show that there's any confidence that they'll be able to continue this on even longer. But here they are. And what now the people of Russia that are being forced into their military gear are trying their best to flee and hide because they don't want to fight for Russia anymore. Um, let's just hope this ends. It would be great if it ended. But yeah, the big difference about Russia taking Alaska is we have the ability and the capability and Probably a lot better equipment to protect ourselves in that sense with our military. All right, 855-616-1620. Let's go back to the phone lines, and I think we have Matt from Burlington. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello, how are you today? Hey, good. Good. Hey, uh, I told you, Spina, when you look at the causes of inflation, you definitely have to account for the conduct of the energy companies, just Chevron and Exxon, not even including BP and the other giants, $30 billion in profits in the last quarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a lot. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I would tend to agree. But I think there are certain factors that play into that. They do have a large amount of profits coming in. But a lot of times you see these large profits come in ebbs and flows. So sometimes they bring in a lot. Sometimes they don't bring in a lot. Um, I don't think you can just chalk it up to corporate greed. So is that the point you're making? Is It's corporate greed that's forcing this? That, and then you also, there is another factor that I didn't mention is you look at what the Saudis and OPEC did, uh, basically yeah. in an attempt to manipulate election. They, they cut production. Um, so that causes your inflation. Then the Fed says, uh -huh. well, we're going to change the rates, and they wipe out $11 trillion in, you know, in basically qualified plan savings. So yeah. it's a big chain uh, you know, reaction, and oversimplification doesn't do any good. The Saudis definitely take advantage of us, um, at least for the Biden administration. But I will point out the gas and whatnot was, that was coming from Russia and our supply would have been definitely relieved if we were to look at the futures of the pipeline and continuing the construction of the pipeline, even though it wouldn't have been able to supply us immediately, at least the future would have said we can better rely on keeping our energy on this side of the hemisphere as opposed to relying on Russian energy. And I, I can't remember the percentage. It was like 8 to 10 percent of the natural gas that was coming from Russia. If you take that out of the right. factor and then all of a sudden these companies are, OK, we have to 
make up that energy somehow. So it's going to be distributed over countries that are, or companies, I should say, that are already giving us and supplying us energy. Then when you have a higher demand for something and there's only the same amount of oil or gas that's being produced, but with less of it being produced or at least wiped out being refused to buy from Russia anymore, obviously that's going to drive prices up too. And that's going to contribute to some of the different profits that these companies are making. Right. Well, I, I would I would assert that staying away from that Russian gas was a good thing. Pretty much all of the countries that are massive energy producers are loaded with bad guys. Venezuela, Saudis, Russia. It's, yeah. You know, politically, You're right. maybe not a good idea. To, we maybe need to start moving away from those guys. A hundred percent. We really should. And that's why the Keystone Pipeline was such a good idea, because at least we're in control of that and we're not working with the bad guys for it. And the other part of it is that it's a lot safer and cleaner to move it through that pipeline, at least on our side, as opposed to transport it from the other side of the world. And then on top of that, you don't have to rely on Russia. So that's a huge plus, um, because then that makes up for the drop if you have to move a, a country out of the equation. Uh, that would have been great, even though it wasn't yeah. ready this year. But if you had that on the horizon in a couple of years, that would have been a huge relief. And that's why we should probably continue constructing it in the future. Okay, that's a lesson we can learn. Yep, energy independence is important, and that does include green alternatives as well. So I'll give you your point, and I think the green the green energy is also a good good addition to that equation. Great, thank you very much. Appreciate it. I think most companies and people have looked at the cost analysis, the benefit of some of the green energies that are available to us, and I think what most experts say is what we need to do. Okay, you ready? nuclear you have to get those plants back up get that going nuclear energy is safe the technology has changed a lot over the years if we were able to construct more it's super clean that would be a huge relief i think if we were to start building more of that in fact it would actually be more cost effective than trying to say we're going to put all our energy in solar panels or wind or whatever that is the clear path that i think a lot of people are afraid of based on some of the disasters of the past, but the technology has changed so much now that we have to look at it for the future, and we have to really look at it seriously. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner. Oh, boy, what a fun first hour. And I say that tongue-in-cheek. I was not expecting to go a full hour talking about this, but it seems any time the former president is brought up in the news. This is what happens. 855-616-1620. One person said, you keep saying president and not former president. Okay, he's been, he hasn't been president for two years. He's the former president. One person texted in. I'm trying to remember the right way that you technically say it. So I think when you're writing a news article, you can say President Trump. And then after that, you refer to him as Mr. Trump. And when he's a former president, technically, you still say president. So just like President Obama, you would say that. And then after you say it one time, I think it's okay to say former president or mister. I think that's the technical way that you should handle it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I saw the text message in there. And some people get upset when you say that, mostly because they think you're contesting the previous election. I'm not doing that as like a protester trying to contest it. I'm just saying I think that's what the proper etiquette is in situations like that. I may be wrong. That was my understanding of it. 
Some other text messages. Uh, my business was not going to survive without the stimulus check. Yeah, those loans, there has to be a massive amount of investigation going into a lot of the fraudulent loans that went out there. I think that's a big part of what's going to be happening next. Now, the individuals that were getting checks, some people are very paranoid because they were worried this money was going out to people that weren't alive, weren't eligible. Now you're going to have to pay it back. And then they just forgave it for a lot of people anyway. Oh, you know, just forget it all. We were so loose and fast when it came to that original stimulus money. And so much of it went out that absolutely didn't need to go out. Then we had another one and then another one. So we kept continuing and flirting with the idea that we needed more stimulus money. That puts us in a very bad position. Financially speaking, what you see are a lot of people worried because inflation is so high, the cost of goods for anything has gone up. I don't know about you. I do some grocery shopping for my family, but my wife does the majority of it every time she goes out there. It's like $30, $40, $50 more than what you would normally spend, at least compared to the last couple of years. Now we're coming up on another holiday, Thanksgiving. You're going to spend more money there. Now we're coming up on one after that, Christmas. You're going to spend more for the toys. You're going to spend more for the food. And then even big companies that normally should be ramping up for this. I don't want to say it out loud. One of the big delivery companies, the UPS, the FedEx, whatever it is, um, DHL, one of them are going to start scaling back based on reports. And that's right before Christmas season. Same thing with Amazon. Scaling back right before the Christmas season. That doesn't give you a lot of confidence that things are going in the right direction. All right, so when we come back um, in the break, there's something that's been trending, and you probably have seen it on social media. It's this one giant cryptocurrency Ponzi scheme that has collapsed called FTX. And the founder of that, Sam Bankman Freed, is in the middle of a lot of controversy, and rightfully so. Was he using assets inappropriately? Were things being shifted around illegally? He's now, where is he? What is he doing? There's so many questions to this. The New York Times wrote an article, didn't really mention much about the faults of the founder of this company, but we're going to bring on an economist and a technical analyst to explain this a little bit better after the break on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. You may have seen stories about FTX and the founder of that cryptocurrency exchange. His name is Sam Bankman Freed. And if you were to look at the New York Times today, here's the headline and how they phrase it. Mr. Bankman Freed said in an interview that he had expanded too fast and failed to see the warning signs. Oh, gee golly. He had great intentions, but you know how that goes. And you read this story, and there's so many parts to it that were left out. I wanted to reach out to an economist and a technical analyst. His name is Alex Kruger to, I think, tell the whole story and explain it to everyone. Hey, what's really going on behind the scenes here with FTX? Alex, thank you for joining us in Milwaukee on WTMJ. Hi, how you doing? I'm reading from uh, Lisbon, where I'm right now. Um, I don't know where to get started, but basically uh, boiling, the, boiling the story down, it's uh, the story of basically uh, this uh, Sam Backman fried who uh, did something very similar to what uh, Bernie Madoff did, mostly with uh, retail money. Um, so uh, he had an exchange well, that is now bankrupt. Yeah, go ahead. Right. I, I wanted to read a tweet 
that you put out that grabbed my attention because you responded to the New York Times article and said it was disgraceful reporting. He said that it has no mention of the words of fraud, criminal, substance abuse, hack, stolen funds, wipe servers, um, pump and dumps, inside jobs, market manipulation, market crash, political donations. These are uh, Ponzi schemes. These are all things that are also associated with this story that I think are very important to get out there because you're talking about billions of dollars of other people's money. So that's why the full story needs to get out exactly what happened here. And you bring up all of these things, and it seems like large publications like the New York Times want to look at this as a something rosy. Oh, gee golly, this could happen to anyone. But I think there's a lot more nefarious things going on behind the scenes. Well, I have to say, I'm, first of all, I'm, 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 uh, so it, it, this is going to be a political thing. I'm personally politically agnostic, and I lean uh, heavily right. But I'm, I'm politically agnostic. I don't vote. Uh, that being said... Uh, uh, there is uh, definitely something going on here in the way uh, this uh, fraud uh, is being portrayed in the media by the New York Times, the Financial Times, and all around the world, uh, uh, left-leaning newspapers are portraying uh, uh, this fraudster as someone who basically is a failed philanthropist, what is most definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. And there are basically $10 billion, 8 to $10 billion, of uh, people's money, of one million people's money that are literally gone because he funneled that money into his failed hedge fund without telling anyone. Can you explain how this is looked at compared to Bernie Madoff? Because I think a lot of people can use Bernie Madoff as a reference point. They understand and remember what happened there. How similar is it to this situation, but in turn now cryptocurrency? It's similar in, um, how to put it, it's similar in essence, in the sense that uh, this man took some other people's money, and uh, without telling anyone, he used that money to uh, fund his own businesses and his own things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different in the sense that Madoff, he basically targeted his victims were high net worth individuals. In this case... Uh, uh, SBFs, those are his initials, SBFs uh, victims are, uh, it's everyone. It's uh, a, a lot of individuals from all over the world, including the U.S. It's uh, as well high net worth individuals and uh, quite a few institutions. He uh, basically, uh, he fooled almost everybody. He fooled uh, a great number of uh, very important hedge funds. He fooled uh, Congress. He fooled Maxine Waters. Uh, he's... Uh, uh, seemingly working, he's been working seemingly with, seemingly with uh, Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC. Um, uh, what else? Uh, he got in uh, Tom Brady, uh, basically, to be uh, one of his spokesmen. I don't think, uh, I mean, I don't know the insights there, but uh, Brady lost a lot of money investing in, in, in uh, this exchange, FTX. Uh, please mm-hmm. uh, stop me and ask questions because I may. You know, I I know too much, and, uh, you know... (laughs) I know too much, which is a great phrase that you can put on your social media. uh, Like, (laughs) you know, when you're deeply ingrained into something, uh, uh, it it can be easy to get off track, you know, and keep the story simple and clear. So, how about this? Uh, Let's take a quick break. It's only a couple of minutes long, and when we come back, I want to ask you about what happened immediately after, because we're talking about... 
I think things that could be used as evidence against him being wiped from servers, documents missing. He had a lot of political contributions. People are wondering where that money came from and the money that he put into political campaigns. And a lot of people use that term Ponzi scheme. So how this organization was set up to begin with, I mean, we're talking $10 billion that disappeared. That's an awful lot. Uh, when we come back, economist and technical analyst Alex Kruger, we're going to continue with him about the fall of FTX. I'm sure you're seeing headlines all over about this. And to help us better understand it, we'll be right back on the Jeff Wagner Show, WTMJ. Welcome back. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. You have seen the headlines, FTX, and their founder is Sam Bankman-Fried. SBM, uh, SBF, you may have seen the initials a lot on social media as well. People just uh, refer to them that way. Uh, joining us is an economist, a technical analyst, Alex Kruger. And uh, much appreciation to him because I saw his tweet this morning responding to the New York Times article that made it look like, oh, wow, you know, things looked a lot sunnier than they actually are behind the scenes. Uh, and I think the question that I first want to get, Alex, how in the world can $10 billion disappear overnight? Um, not overnight, basically. Uh, this uh, company, FTX, an ex- uh, a crypto exchange, had a sister company called Alameda Research, a hedge fund, and a market maker. So what happened is Alameda Research uh, made uh, a series of uh, extremely bad trades, both on the venture capital side uh, last year, and then uh, this year by basically offering a uh, uh, this may be a little too complex, but it's basically offering liquidity and buying liquidations on uh, a market that was uh, collapsing, ending up with a very major uh, hole, literally $8 billion of uh, funds missing. So again, it's bad investments and bad trades uh, in a bear market. And then uh, come May, when uh, May, June, when this uh, massive uh, $8 to $10 billion hole was there, the founder made the decision of basically plugging the hole with uh, the money of his sister company, FTX, which was not his money. It was people's money. So he mm-hmm. took people's money from FTX and uh, transferred it with the click of a button into the balance sheet of Alameda, basically. Mm-hmm. That's the story. Wow. And it surfaced, and- uh, last, like in the last two weeks and then then what happened, happened. That's amazing. Uh, Part of this, too, that people bring up are the political donations. He was one of the biggest contributors to this past election. And a lot of people wonder, where did that money come from? So was he doing the same thing with political contributions, people's money that were used in the FTX exchange were being used to also support candidates in this last election? Well, that's debatable. We don't know yet. We're going to know eventually at the court when, when, when the time comes uh, at court uh, when that uh, when he started using uh, other people's money. Uh, I believe that he started using other people's money from the very beginning years ago, but it may be that it only started last May. We don't know yet. But that being said, political donations were clearly uh, made to uh, gain a regulatory advantage uh, for his exchange, basically what he was uh, seemingly, I believe firmly that this is the case, what he was trying to do was uh, put his uh, company, FTX, his crypto exchange, in a position where he had a regulatory mode against other exchanges, therefore benefiting 
the value of his stock and the value of his token, FTX and FTT. And given that uh, most of the balance sheet of this hedge fund called Alameda again was composed of FTT, and FTT was being used to, to take loans from uh, everywhere, um, these political donations were very important for uh, sustaining basically the value of FTT and FTX. Wow. How how could no one is there any oversight so from what i understand is he in the bahamas and does that contribute to some of the problems of oversight well that's a that's a very major issue he has to to uh, first of all it's uh they have like over a hundred companies so it's a, it's an insane web of companies that they have then secondly he has uh alamina research that started in san francisco and then moved to hong kong FTX is based in, in the Bahamas, but it's incorporated in Antigua. And then he has FTX US, which is his uh, US exchange. Um, that um, it's, it's US. Um, so uh, on a, on a, from a regulatory point of view, it's, it's really great what's going to happen now. And the fear is that uh, regulators won't do much precisely because it's outside of the US and, uh, and they'll target mostly... Uh, uh, players like basically they're going to let him off the hook. That's the fear because if if what happened that would have happened inside the U.S., he would be in jail already, mm-hmm. and he's tweeting. Right here he is. A part of this too that people are questioning is the evidence. So if any other circumstance, immediately there would be an investigation. They would be looking for evidence as part of a case against him. From what I understand, was he destroying evidence, wiping servers to try to hide his tracks? That happened last week. It's it's pretty bad. Basically, uh, the bank run, there was a bank run that started. This is a crypto exchange. You're supposed to have one client, uh, $1 of client money uh, fully backed. So there should be no bank runs in a crypto exchange. This is not a bank that is running a fractional reserve that basically is lending money it doesn't have. But he didn't have the money, so the bank run started, ran out of money, shut down the exchange, stopped uh, withdrawals, customer withdrawals. So everybody who got stuck there, uh, those are the, 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 the billions of dollars that are, that are missing is basically people that got stuck in the exchange. Uh, answering your question specifically, during the week, people kept on withdrawing money, and the story that was pushed forth was that that was because the Bahamas regulator had ordered FTX and their employees to facilitate and prioritize withdrawals for Bahamas citizens and residents. Mm. That is not true. The, the regulator never did that. So. Uh, the corollary is that basically uh, FTX employees were withdrawing money, likely for his family, their families and friends and themselves, for using Bahamas accounts. So they kept on withdrawing money when they shouldn't. Then came Chapter 11, which was declared in the U.S. on Thursday, Thursday night, and uh, on sorry on Friday, and then uh, in the middle of the night between Friday and Saturday. What happened is servers were wiped, and uh, mm-hmm. the exchange was hacked conveniently. For the first time in its history, it gets hacked mm-hmm. after Chapter 11, and uh, $400 million gets stolen. 
Mm. So the question I, um, now is why, yeah. why, why, what happened to the servers? It's, it's a big question. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, just for yeah. the sake of time, and this is economist and technical analyst Alex Kruger joining us here. We're, we're talking about FTX, and I'm sure people have seen the headlines and how ten billion dollars is, you know, poof. It's just amazing. Uh, are we just to put this in perspective? The founder of FTX, Sam, are we looking at the biggest scam artist of all time in the history of the world? I think it's possible. I mean, I don't, I don't specialize in, in, in scam artists, but what, what I've seen with these guys is absolutely insane. He's, he's definitely top ten. He's been wow. lying to everyone for so long. He's lied at Congress. He's lied, he's lied everywhere. And he, uh, yeah, he, he maybe. It's, it's quite maybe. Okay. It's hard to categorize things like that, but based on what we're seeing so far, and I'm sure more of what we'll see in the future. Uh, I got to thank you for spending your time. I know you said you're abroad. What country are you in right now? In Portugal. Portugal. Fantastic. Uh, yep. Live feed from Portugal from economist and technical analyst Alex Kruger spending time with us here. Thank you so much for explaining it. I think a lot of people benefited from learning more about this story. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, and I hope it was uh, clear enough. I think so, too, and I think it gives a better perspective for people that see the headlines because they're all over, and what an important story it is for people to understand what's happening here. Uh, Alex Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R, you can see and find him online. I'd recommend you look him up. He has some really great information on this there. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Big thanks to our guest, Alex Kruger, who joined us the last couple of segments. I know I kept him a little bit long, but... It's an important story. $10 billion gone. A million people lost everything they invested into it. A lot of celebrities, though, they made these deals with FTX. Some of them invested money into this cryptocurrency exchange that, you know, was mismanaging and throwing the money out somewhere else. And now, man, how many potential crimes have been committed, not only by the people around this company, but maybe even some people here in the United States, and who was involved? I think that's a big question. Here are some of the celebrities, most of them sports stars, that were associated with FTX and may have lost a ton of money. Trevor Lawrence, I think he's a quarterback for the Jaguars. Um, I think one of the big ones, Tom Brady, was involved with it. Kevin O'Leary, if you remember, Mr. Wonderful, he's the one that's on Shark Tank. He's the Canadian um, you know, billionaire. He was involved with it as well, an ambassador for FTX. Shaquille O'Neal, David Ortiz signed a deal with him too. There's so many people. Steph Curry from the Golden State Warriors, basketball player. These are a lot of them sports players, but if you think about it, a million people had their money invested into that. And we're talking about $10 billion that was not only mismanaged, but stolen and moved around. And now this founder is not in jail when he should be. And I think they're going to have to try to find the best they can to hold them accountable and anyone else around it. Because, man, uh, all signs point to him being one of the biggest scam artists in the history of the world. Quite amazing. When we come back, uh, there's a few things I want to get to. I saw one story posted in the Journal Sentinel this morning regarding Packers tickets. Is this the right time to invest in Packer tickets? Because apparently they're going pretty cheap. Let's discuss that after the break. Welcome back. Wow. Uh, some great text messages. I'm looking at the WTMJ talk and text line at 855 616 one said, billionaires don't go to jail if you steal, steal big. 
Okay. Uh, one person said, oh, you bring a guy on from Portugal and then you put him on hold for a commercial break. <laughs> okay. We have an international caller. Imagine that being unimaginable in the past. Remember how expensive it would be when you called a different country, let alone you called a different state. Oh, man, you're calling Canada? Ugh. Wait, hold on. You're going to call Texas? Oh, that's expensive. We have to wait until nighttime or the weekends to call because it's more affordable then. Do you remember those days? I don't think it costs any more to call other countries anymore. <laughs> but it's so funny, just the idea that we have a guest on that's internationally known. He is someone that is an economist, a technical analyst. He does a lot of podcasts and things talking about cryptocurrency. And he was just someone so well-versed in this topic. I was... Well, it looks like we had some uh, internet droppage issues, so my apologies. I was making fun of myself based on that one text message that came in, and there it went. So I think we're okay now. But I was reading a text message regarding our caller. He's a cryptocurrency guy, but really someone that just pays attention. But he's a, an economist, very smart dude. He's on a lot of different podcasts, an expert when it comes to things like technical and economy, money. And Alex Kruger comes on from Portugal, and the person texts in and says, you know, you get this guy from the other side of the world, and hey, how about that? You go to commercial break on him. <laughs> Leading expert on this stuff. But I hope you got a little bit more background onto what went into that. I wanted to talk Packers with you, because this is almost like we're talking markets. When there's a, you know, sell high, buy low mentality, when things are bottoming out, maybe that's the best time to invest. Could this be the best time to invest in Green Bay Packer tickets? I saw this online, JS Online, and they were looking at the secondary markets and how much a Packers tickets is going for. And as of right now, most sites you can pick up a Packers ticket for $75. That's about $50 less than the lowest face value ticket through the Packers at Lambeau. So I'm going to open this up to you. Given the Packers have struggled, given they finally get an overtime win and still, you know, put one in the win column, but not looking all that great. A lot of questions on the team, a lot of disappointment. Uh, are you a buyer or seller of the Green Bay Packers? 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. You can look at this as your opportunity to go and buy and purchase these tickets as fast as you can. Because if you were to go and purchase these tickets and all of a sudden the team gets hot again, let's say they go on a win streak. I mean, they got a lot of tough competition ahead of them. But let's say they turn it around and they're still in the hunt for a playoff position and things get exciting towards the end of the year. You're going to look pretty good because you're like, hey, I only spent $75 on this ticket. 75 bucks on this ticket. Can you believe it when people are spending hundreds or more, thousands of dollars? So what do we do here? Um, do you buy the tickets or sell them? And I think this is basically how the markets work. It's basically you looking at what is your idea of the future. Do you think they're going to get better? And you're going to have a demand for it in the future, and that would be the time to invest? 855-616-1620. One person points out, oh, uh, be careful when you buy on these secondary websites. There's a convenience fee and taxes that are put on top of that. You'll have to remind me, and, and I know there's people probably listening right now that have purchased Packers tickets their entire life. How many fees do they put onto it when you're buying it through the Packers organization? Let's say you're getting... You know, the opportunity for season tickets. Maybe you want is forget about the secondary markets. Maybe you just want to buy something straight from Lambo. 
and you get an opportunity to do that, what kind of fees do they put on that? Are there large taxes? Because I think it's going to be very similar to what you would pay on some of these secondary markets. I, for one, don't go to a lot of sporting events anymore. The sporting events I go to are the ones normally where the tickets are comped, as in, hey, we got some extra tickets, do you want to go? Or something through the affiliation of the radio station, and I'll take advantage of that. And that's fine with me. It's been a long time since I've actually purchased a ticket. It's probably since I've lived in Ohio, and I would go up to see Red Wings games in Detroit because I'm a hockey fan. Love hockey games. But for the most part, I've been fortunate enough to work at radio stations and have the tickets provided to me through that venue. Going back to this article, they're, they're just saying that maybe in your lifetime, this, this is the lowest tickets have gone for a Packers game. And the headline certainly says Packers tickets for Lambeau games reach historic lows, but winning could change that. Three of the Packers' remaining seven opponents lead their divisions, meaning that in order for the Packers to turn things around, get exciting again, stay in the playoff hunt, they're going to have to beat some of the best teams in the league. So the optimism of you holding on to a ticket that could be valuable towards the end of the season, not looking great the way that they've shown themselves so far. Uh, One person messaged in, uh, do you throw octopi at hockey games? Part of throwing octopi at a Detroit Red Wings hockey game is that you have to sneak it into the arena, which means that you have to first take the octopus, you have to boil it so it doesn't smell bad, so you cook it, and then you have to wrap it up in plastic and stick it down your pants and hope you don't get patted down and have to try to explain to the person why you got an octopus in your pants. It's a lot of risk involved with something like that. And then you get thrown out of the game. I would not want to spend a lot of money on a ticket to get thrown out of a game. No thank you for that. So, no. But it would be a fun thing to do. Like, if they gave me the opportunity to do it where I wouldn't get in trouble, then absolutely I would do that. But I'm also the cheap guy that would never throw a hat on the ice. You know, the hockey tradition that if your team scores a hat trick, you take your hat off your head and you throw it on the ice? I'm too cheap for that. I don't want to replace my hat. I like my hat. Why would I throw my hat on the ice? I have a connection to my hat. I have it worn in perfectly, exactly the way I like it. Maybe if you go to games with the expectation you could potentially throw it on the ice, maybe you just go to games in the future wearing hats you don't mind throwing away. Go to Goodwill before the game. You know, like you go to the movie theater right before you actually walk in. you got to go to like a Walgreens and load up on candy and snacks before you go in. Then, you know, stuff it in your pockets. And then you go to the movie theater to save a lot of money. You know, pretty much everyone does that, right? You get the popcorn at the movie theater. You bring the candy in from Walgreens. So kind of like that, except that you're going to go to a Goodwill real quick and buy a cheap hat just in case you get to throw it on the ice. Because then you get to do that guilt-free because they can't throw you out when everyone else is throwing the uh, hats on the ice. Some places actually, speaking of hockey, will have charity events where you're meant to throw something on the ice. I lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and one of their big charity events was you brought a brand-new stuffed animal, and then at a certain point of the game, you throw the stuffed animal on the ice, people go on and collect the stuffed animal, and then they give them to children's charities right before Christmas or something along those lines. It actually worked out really nice. Uh, but thank you for asking about throwing octopus onto the ice. Going back and looking at some of these prices, they do believe that this past weekend's overtime win against the Dallas Cowboys at Lambeau could give a bump in the market, but prices are still very low. They say that the Packers get a much-needed 10 days of rest soon. They're going to have a couple of days off. But let's just say they play on Thursday. They host the Tennessee Titans. That would be great. They'll say they get a win. That could be great. 
Um, and then let's say on top of that, they can find themselves in a position where they're on a roll. They get two games, two wins in a row. Tickets are going to go through the roof. This is your time if you wanted to go on and try to make some money. This could be an investment. I almost sound like one of those celebrities that are pitching cryptocurrency to you, right? Like, you know how all those, like the Tom Brady's of the world, the names that I just mentioned before we went to news at the bottom of the hour, they all had a, like a long laundry list of people that lost a ton of money because of cryptocurrency. Here I am basically pitching the same thing. Hey, if the Packers win, this is going to go through the roof. This might be your chance. Or if you were planning on going to a game later in the season, but you don't have your tickets yet, this would be the time to buy it when it's bottom out. Because if you're going anyway, get it while the getting is good. Looking at some other average teams, um, not average teams, but average cost for different teams. They were discussing the Eagles. They talked about the Washington. Apparently, the average game price is about 250 a ticket. Most expensive games remaining on the Packers schedule, the average price was about 255 uh, Price likely driven by Eagles fans. Some of them may be trying to jump into something like that. But here you are. I'm just trying to be a consumer watchdog for you. Go get your Packers tickets while you can. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner. Don't go anywhere on WTMJ. I was just informed by our producer, Charlie, that in our brand new studios, someone was watching the show from outside the window and reading the closed captioning on the soap opera that was playing on the TV in the background. You think... That would be fun for most people to observe a live radio program. But considering I'm not live in the studio, I'm actually remote <laughs> at the moment. They're just staring at Charlie in the studio. And Charlie's starting to get flattered. He's like, oh, wow, she must like me. But no, it was reading the caption on the soap opera while she was eating her lunch. I kind of like that storyline. Maybe we're just going to have to bump up that closed captioning a little bit larger so she can read it a little bit easier. I'm Ryan Recker filling in, 855-616-1620. Maybe a couple of lighter stories here. The movie Christmas Story plays on a loop. I think TBS plays it on a loop, normally right around Thanksgiving time, and then Christmas time comes around. It's like 24 or 48 hours worth of Christmas Story. Most people really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. The house that the film was set in, filmed in, in Cleveland, Ohio, is up for sale again. We don't exactly know how much they're trying to sell it for, but it's a commercial property. It's not like some family's living there. And there's an old 1920s coal furnace in the basement, and Dad goes down there and uses the F word or whatever that would they use in there in the movie itself. And then the kid picks up on it, and then you run the kid upstairs and put soap in that kid's mouth. Those type of family stories only play out inside of the movies. Now, the actual building in the house itself and the property that it's on is a commercial property where people take tours of it. They kind of relive the Christmas story. And the movie itself, by the way, is getting a remake just in time for the holidays this year, uh, a, a remake where little Ralphie's grown up as an adult. But I was reading this story, and I was really shocked the amount of people that wanted to go see this actual property. Can we play clip number one? Although the property is still on the market, there are still tours being given. In December, 45,000 people pack into Tremont to visit the Christmas Story house. For the year, 150,000. So obviously a great time to come down here to Tremont to visit the Christmas Story house before it's sold. Christy? 150,000 people visit the house a year? And you know, a lot of that is concentrated over just like the Christmas time. 
because uh, I'm guessing that for the most part, people aren't going there a lot in, you know, March. But if you average that out over the year, that's about 410 people a day. Now, keep in mind, there's going to be a higher demand during Christmas time. That's a packed place. And the house itself, the neighbors are like, you know, it's kind of nice having this close, but it's a bunch of one-way streets, and people don't know how to drive when they come visit this place. I don't blame them. People don't know how to drive regularly now, let alone someone that's looking for a house that they try to vaguely remember from an actual movie from the past. Wow. Uh, something else I wanted to bring up. I, I don't know if it'd be worth the money. It might. You might make a lot of money on it, and it seems like with a new movie coming out that it'll help, and this year particularly, people just want cheap things to do. I don't know how much it costs to go through it, but tell me you wouldn't want to be someone that goes in and takes a picture with that leg lamp. Like, it's right there in front of the window. The leg lamp's turned on. Tell me you don't want to go take a picture with them. That's like the ultimate social media type of picture. So where my house is, we finally got a little bit of snow. You guys have your own issues with the weather, the snow, and you've had that. You know, it's not the first time of the season you've seen it, but particularly today if you're driving around, please be careful on the roadways across Milwaukee. But we finally got a little bit of snow where I live for the first time. And you know what my son did? He looked out the window. He saw the snow, and the first thing he said was, can I go outside and eat some of it? Are you serious? Can I go outside and eat the snow? When I was a kid, um, there was warnings against eating snow. Uh, Frank Zappa had a very funny song about the yellow snow, and people have made jokes about that forever. I was shocked to find out, after doing a little bit of research, that some people eat snow. They call it snow ice cream. They'll go outside, scoop it up, They'll put some vanilla flavoring in it, and they'll eat it like regular ice cream. There's some people that will put, like, a pot out if they know that it's going to snow, so that way at least you're not scooping something off the ground or, like, a dirty wooden deck or whatever. But some people actually collect snow and eat it and call it snow ice cream. That was something that is so foreign to me. I had no idea anyone would attempt such a thing. But apparently it's pretty popular. And some people listening right now may have memories of going outside with their mom, scooping up snow off the ground, and eating it. And you can treat it like uh, any other type of ice cream. I've seen people put chocolate syrup on top of the snow ice cream. Why would anyone think that's a good idea? I understand that there's certain situations where poverty plays a case, and they're like, okay, if we didn't do that, we'd have nothing. But still, uh, when I was younger... There's, uh, you know, this is what the rationale is when people were talking about this online. They say, have you ever stood outside and stuck your tongue out when it was snowing and you ate that snow out of the sky? It's basically the same thing. Well, no, it's not. I would think snow from the sky, from the cloud to your tongue, has not came in contact with anything else. It basically, I guess, potentially air pollution or whatever. But it's, it hasn't came in contact with anything else. Some people will put mats or pots out in their back porch to collect this snow. Wow. I, I just can't believe it. Uh, okay, maybe you're someone that's outside thinking to yourself right now, I could really go for some snow ice cream. Good luck with that. Coming up after the break, there's a few different stories out of Waukesha. There's a parade memorial fund they're trying to get together. I wanted to at least give a plug to them because I'm really saddened to learn that they haven't reached their goal yet, and there needs to be a memorial in Waukesha. And also, as you continue to hear the Daryl Brooks case, more people have their opportunity to say their piece. 
Daryl Brooks's grandma came out with a statement that I wanted to discuss, and I'm not too happy about it. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. At 36 degrees, I'm Mike Spaulding, citing unlimited WTMJ News Times 207. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Ooh, another hour here, and it's going to be a good one because I'm looking at the text messaging right now, and you can call or text that line at 855-616-1620. One person said, snow ice cream is a great treat. Did it in Texas when I was a kid 50 years ago. Didn't get it every year. Well, yeah, it's Texas, of course. I get what you're saying. That was something you may have done 50 years ago. Kids today should not be eating snow ice cream. (laughs) Some traditions are meant to stop at some point, and I think we've reached the point where we don't have to do it anymore. Uh, Another person was messaging about watching the Christmas Story sequel, not watching it until after Thanksgiving ends. I get that. It's one of those movies that is very comforting late at night. If you can't sleep and TBS is showing a Christmas story, you put it on. And just, uh, you know, that helps you, right? It's more comforting than anything else. It'll help ease your mind. I wanted to just do this quick story and an update that we're seeing the Waukesha Christmas Parade Attack Memorial that they've been trying to raise money for is not quite going the way they thought. They have a commission that's put together to try to raise some money. And so far, they've done pretty good. The Waukesha Parade Memorial Commission so far has raised about $87,500. $87,500. That's a lot of money. But their fundraising goal is closer to 150000 and in order to build what they really want to build uh, in Main Street is about a million and a half dollars. And there's some artist renditions of it. It's a heart with some flowers, a beautiful memorial where it would put... Um, I think a lot of people would look at that and say it's a very touching tribute to those that lost their life at the hands of Daryl Brooks. So... I hope that anyone here listening today, maybe there's some businesses, maybe there's someone that is in the Christmas spirit <laughs> and has a lot of money, right? You, you have so much money, and you're looking at a worthy cause, and you have the ability to go donate a million and a half dollars to put this memorial together in Waukesha. Maybe this is the message for you, that go do a good thing. Uh, help root them on. And if you see an opportunity to uh, throw in a couple of bucks to help get that, sure. And I think a lot of businesses are being hit up right now, too, in order to try to build that. I think their goal is to get that up by late next year, uh, end of summer. Yeah, November of 2023 is the way they're looking at the end of next year. One other thing about the Daryl Brooks case. I was looking at a story over on TMJ4. They did a story about the statement from Daryl Brooks's grandmother. A lot of the victims have their opportunity to say their piece. I was reading that they tried to keep it to about five minutes, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that have a lot more to say, some that may not be able to give a statement live in person. And TMJ4 did a story regarding Daryl Brooks's grandmother. Her name is Mary, and she had a statement that she wanted to give to the court and to the people via Zoom because she couldn't make it in person. And she's 80 years old and, of course, being related to Daryl Brooks, the grandmother, a close relative. Her perspective on this is a lot different. I was reading the statement, and I have to say, again, um, I just don't understand the position that she's in. I hope that there are never, uh, never tragedies in my family in the case 
of a, a child of mine committing such acts of violence. I hope I'm never put into a situation where I am going to have to put a statement like this out. But given that, and given everything I know about the situation and who I am, I would never once put a statement out that would try to tell other people, victims of crimes, of how they should feel and how sympathetic they should be about my grandson who just killed members of your community. And I'm reading this statement, and to me it sounds like she's trying to put herself in a position to say, you're not allowed to feel the way you're feeling. Um, I'm warning you that the way you're feeling is wrong because you should be sympathetic to my son, Daryl Brooks. And that is such a lousy, terrible way to approach this topic. If anything, if you actually feel that way, you sit this one out. Stay out of this. She played a part in turning him into a monster as part of that family. uh, That may sound like a real mean, terrible, unfair thing to say, but what I'm saying is that you had an opportunity to um, give the victims some closure and allow them to have their peace, but here you are addressing the court saying, show mercy to Daryl Brooks. He's the real victim here. Uh, you lost family members. You lost children. But look at what he's lost. You have a mom that lost their son. You have a grandmother that lost their grandson. You have kids that lost their father. And now you have this man with mental illness who has lost his life as well. So he's one of you playing the same card that Daryl Brooks played inside of the courtroom. And that is lousy. And that shouldn't stand. And I hope no one falls for that. And I hope that, of course, he's going to find himself in jail for the rest of his life. And every day he should be thanking himself that there's no death penalty in Wisconsin because you know that's the way it would go if that was uh, available. And I think that's where a lot of people believe that it would land and should land. So I'm reading the statement that they gave to TMJ4, and I wanted to read one part to you. It said that uh, my prayer is that you will not be like the man who drank poison. Welcome back to WTMJ. I'm Ryan Recker. So you probably heard a couple of commercials in a row there. <laughs> I guess the computer we used to connect locked up, so we had to do a quick reset, and now it is back up and running. Uh, so I think we're good for now. But hopefully we are good up for a while. But you know what this means? Since we played all those commercial spots, we have a long stretch where there's no commercials, which means that lock it on your computer and let's keep it right here. Got a couple more minutes before we get to the news here soon enough. Yesterday, I brought this up because it was a breaking news story. Jay Leno was in his garage working on a car when it sounds like there was a gasoline fire burnt his face. One of the updates from page six this morning is that Jay Leno may actually need skin grafts after suffering those third degree burns in that car fire. Quite scary. Uh, Jay Leno somewhat controversial of a comedian. He's had his beefs with David Letterman, and that went on for a long time. Then, of course, Conan O'Brien after. They look at him as someone that's burnt a lot of other comedians, people that you don't really trust in the comic world. But all things that are considered, Jay Leno was a comedic genius, fantastic late-night talk show host. And all things aside, he definitely did not make some friends, but he made a lot of other friends in other places. And he's a huge car enthusiast. And from what I understand, a nice guy, and people say that he is a nice person to talk to and to befriend and whatnot. It's actually sad, you know, 72 years old, you're working on a car in your garage and something goes bad. I always wonder how long it's going to take before there's an accident when I'm working on the car. I do a lot of my own home repairs. And there's always a certain 
amount of time that you spend before you are willing to give it all up for an injury. So you might be working on a car and everything's going great. And then next thing you know, you're there all night and it still hasn't helped the situation. And you're like, okay, fine, I'll do it tomorrow. Then you pick it up tomorrow and you still can't figure out how to get that one bolt loose. And you've been working on it for eight hours. And you're thinking to yourself, I would give a finger if it would mean the bolt would come loose at this point. Like you're, you're negotiating with the car. I will sacrifice, you know, maybe a toe if it means that you'll give this part up and I can just fix the rest of it. And in the end, my wife yells at me and says, hey, um, you're crazy. Just spend the money. Take it to a shop. I'm like this, though. I got to do the self-repair. I'm like it around the house, too. You get to the point where you're just more or less willing to, you know, risk your own health in order to get the job done as fast as possible because you're just tired of working on it. And, you know, normally that time frame gets a little bit different in cold weather. So if you're out in the garage and it's cold, you're like, I need to get this done sooner than later. All right. Uh, You know, normally I'd hold out a couple more hours, but car, if you want to sacrifice a finger above the knuckle, then we'll do that. Now, I think a lot of people are like that. But I saw a radio friend of mine post this online, and they said, do you have a dangerous hobby? I thought that was a great question. Uh, Dangerous hobby, meaning do you have a hobby where you could hurt yourself and if you're a guy, your wife's like, honey, don't do that anymore. That's, you're too crazy. I've seen this topic, and most of the answers were hunting-related. Stories were talking about going out into the woods, and something happened that you're not necessarily willing to admit to, but it was pretty dangerous. So much like Jay Leno working on his car in the garage, gasoline fire, now he might have to get skin grafts on his face. Do you have a dangerous hobby? What is your hobby, and what's the danger? That's the WTMJ talk and text line, 855-616-1620. There's a couple of examples that come to mind. During Thanksgiving, do you have that friend who has a turkey deep fryer, and they'll put it out on their back deck, and they'll drop the turkey in, and it's not fully thaw, and all the water interacts with that oil, and it becomes a giant grease fire. You know that one guy, and you're like, every year you know he's going to set something on fire during Thanksgiving. Or you have that one guy, that, like this is another great example. Remember the one flat earther that wanted to prove the earth was flat so bad that he was a rocket engineer. He designed a rocket and it was a pressure-based rocket and he was just going to shoot himself up in, into the air, take a picture of the flat earth, come back down safely, and then prove to the world that the earth is flat. Well, he ended up pressurizing this thing, going up, not that far up that he needed to. The parachute didn't deploy he comes crashing down kills himself as part of his hobby to prove that the earth is flat do you have a dangerous hobby 855-616-1620 i want to hear from you 855-616-1620 i'm ryan wrecker filling in and i gotta say i've heard some pretty dangerous things you tell me your dangerous hobby i'm ryan wrecker filling in for jeff wagner and talking about some dangerous hobbies we're discussing the jay leno story in the news today is he may even need skin grafts that's some pretty dangerous burns he was working on a car in his garage the fire uh, apparently was ignited through the gasoline and wow I, i'm hoping for the best for jay leno one person mentioned that he's a nice guy he met him in person and i think that's the experience most people have had that jay leno's a nice dude so we wish him the best look at some of these text messages do you have a dangerous hobby one person said running a chainsaw while making firewood for my dad 
Oh, yeah, chainsaw work. Sometimes when you get into the groove of doing things with dangerous tools like a chainsaw, you forget that you're using a chainsaw. And very likely and unfortunately, people get injured because of that. They just stop paying attention because it just becomes so mundane how they're using that tool. One person said, uh, when you're racing an ice boat on a frozen lake, you risk collision, flipping over, and possibly drowning. That's scary. One person said, nice try, FBI. Oh, that's so funny. Nice try. So I'm not here to rat you out to the FBI, but it makes me wonder what kind of crazy hobbies you have. 855-616-1620. Let's go to George, who's holding on. Welcome to WGMJ. Hello. Hey, Mike. How you doing, buddy? Good. Hey. I'm, uh, yeah. Um, well, I I have a old-school Corvette. Well, it's a C3. They made them from 68 to 82, the sexy model. And I'm on my fourth uh, uh, motor in it. Uh, with uh, This is the last couple of motors been built at a speed shop and, and a 7-800 uh, uh, horsepower transmission. <laughs> built. Anyway, anyway, occasionally, you know, race, on, race it uh, at the drag strip, but and if the price is right, I'll go. I'll race somebody at a remote area, you know, <laughs> if they want to do something. Hold on. What do you mean the price is right? What kind of wagers are we talking about? Well, a hundred and up, a couple of hundred, five hundred, you know, oh. that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. Does that happen a lot? Yeah, you're, you're just driving and someone will challenge you? Oh, no, no. This this has to be, I think, uh, at some place like... Uh, Oh, you know, uh, hamburger joint, uh, drive-in. Is there, well, you meet guys at car shows and stuff, you know. And, right, uh, that yeah, type it, of it crowd. like that, you know. People that say, oh, my car could be yours. Like, well, you know, you got money to back it up. <laughs> <laughs> what are, the, you know, those Fast and Furious movies where Vin Diesel's in the car and he's got so much torque that the front wheels leave the ground? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you ever seen you know, anything like you know that? What? My car can do that. <laughs> no. But anyway, well, with slicks, but see that, I didn't really get into those because I thought they were too phony. I've been uh, a car freak since I was 16 years old, and I'm 68 now. And and I knew right away a charger looked cool as hell, but, you know, I find out later I looked up into that, and they had a fake blower on there. That thing couldn't pull a wheelie. It's very, it can't even run on its own power. It's a, a fake motor that they made look look like that. Gotcha. I know what you mean. All right. It, thank you for the uh, pulled, thank you for the call, George. I, I really appreciate it. That's some good stories. I talk to different people that go to the track. They'll drag race, and one of the big trends the people bring in the electric cars, like the Teslas. The acceleration on those electric cars are un. Believable that it's not even fair. People are saying that. One person texted in: Fast and Furious movies used fake torque. Well, yeah, I would think so. I don't think they really had Vin Diesel behind the wheel in the vehicle working like that. I, I can't say that I am into muscle cars all that much. I find myself the most affordable and practical car. You're most likely to see me in a car that is as least amount of electronics as possible. I want to have a car that has the regular components that's easy to swap out, that doesn't cost an arm and a leg when something shorts out. Uh, That's what I want. Let's go to uh, Joe. Is Joe on the line? Welcome to WTMJ. Hey, how are you? 
Ty, go ahead. All right. So uh, my hobby is candy corn. And candy corn can be very dangerous. Oh, yeah. Uh, How so? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a specific candy corn liker. I only like the ones with the brown tops and the orange bottoms. Uh-huh. Most of them come with a little white tip on the top. I don't want that. Okay. So I happened to come across some and collected a couple of bags, put them in a nice ball jars so that they wouldn't go bad. Mm-hmm. Had a Thursday night all to myself. Kids were asleep. Wife was out. Packer game was on, so I sit down with this nice jar of candy corns, a couple of cocktails. Uh, mm-hmm. By the end of the jar, there were about two or three stuck on the bottom, so I tried to shake them loose, couldn't get them out. So I decided to turn the jar over upside down and just kind of tap it on the on the couch arm. And when I did, the entire jar shattered and sliced my left finger off. Oh, no! And Wait, sliced it off? It was dangling off of my hand. Uh so I wrapped it up in a towel. My my wife was out for the night, and I called her. She hadn't been out in almost two years with little ones at home. And I call her, and she says, my goodness, can I have one night to myself? And I said, <laughs> I cut my finger off. Your finger's dangling by a thread, and your wife's like, I don't want to come home, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, by the time I actually got to the hospital, they were able to reattach it, but I only have about 30% feeling in it. So, uh-huh. darn candy. So how long ago was this? Ever. Uh, probably about two years ago. All right, the Packers win. They did. They did handle. Okay, <laughs> you remember it. that? You're like, I, I need to know if they won. And since then, have you found yourself eating less candy corn out of a precaution? No, I just eat them out of the bag now. Yeah, that's probably for the best. You know, people would say that's what you get for eating candy corn. I don't know why people hate it so much. I like candy corn myself. I love it. Guilty yeah. pleasure. So if you're looking at your finger right now, is it just a giant scar around it and you just can't, don't have much feeling in it? Does it, like, um, impact your yeah, ability a, to grip? A, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's my left hand. I'm left-handed, so I missed about two weeks of work because I couldn't grip anything to write or to type. Um, mm-hmm. It's usable now, but it's constantly numb. Anytime it touches anything or anytime I try to use it, uh, barely any feeling in it, but I can move it. Uh huh. That's a great excuse for the wife, you know. If they catch you picking your nose, you'd be like, "Oh, I didn't even know I was doing it." Remember the fingers numb? I didn't feel it. Oh, so sorry. Great excuse. <laughs> Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. So, what is your dangerous hobby? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Some text messages that are in there. Would laugh? Is that how you say that? L a t h e laugh. I don't know what would laugh is. Uh, one person said, I'm a big mountain snowmobiler and was caught in an avalanche a few years ago. I was swept 200 feet down a slope and unfortunately was not buried when I finally came to rest due to the avalanche airbag backpack. What is an avalanche airbag backpack? Is that a special device that deploys in case you're in the middle of an avalanche? I understand that some people, when they ski or whatever, they'll have these transponders on them in order to be found in case there is an avalanche. So if they do an emergency rescue, then they'll be able to, you know, locate you in that sense for the emergency rescues. Okay, that's interesting. He said he definitely had to check his pants after that incident. You know the dangerous hobby I don't understand? Why do people want to keep bees? I know some people that are beekeepers, and that's been such a millennial thing. They think that it's great because then they can make their own honey. And, oh, isn't it locally sourced honey? And the bees do all the work and everything's great. And some of them even want to sell the honey or they do it just to give honey to their friends. 
But ultimately, you have a beehive on your property, and I know those bees, for the most part, keep to themselves, but why would you want that? It's like some people who say, oh, you know, possums, no big deal. Like, what are you scared of possums for? They're just these friendly little animals, and then sometimes there's, like, snake handlers. Oh, they keep snakes in their house. That's their hobby. Why in the world are you keeping snakes in there? Like, who, who does that? What kind of person would want a boa constrictor inside their house slithering around when you're there trying to sleep? Uh, so what's your dangerous hobby? 855-616-1620. One person said it's pronounced Latha. Okay, wood Latha? Spins wood, makes banisters, bowls, whatever. Very dangerous. So it's like a large spinning blade. Oh, they sent a link. Do I click on it? Oh, Harbor Freight. So you're sending me a link from Harbor That's why it's dangerous. You're buying this stuff from Harbor Freight. Uh, oh, I see this thing now. I've seen these things online. So they're almost like a workbench, but kind of like a, a horse, a workhorse. In the middle, it looks like there's a vice. You put the wood on there. And one side's a hand crank. And the other side, I'm guessing, is a motor that spins the piece of wood around, and that helps figure these things out. That's what it looks like. Yeah, I have my uh, love-hate relationship. Oh, there's no blade on that. Very interesting. Um, one person said, my dangerous hobby is doing projects in the garage and around the yard while day drinking. Really? That's your thing? Like, you, you find yourself getting tipsy and intoxicated and doing things you shouldn't. That's why I think most wives are afraid of what their husbands do when they're out in the garage. Oh, what are you doing out there? Is there anything that you're doing it? My dangerous hobby is I disagree with my wife. Great text message. So many great ones here so far. One person said their dangerous hobby is beef cattle rancher. It's not a job. It's an adventure. And I'm not going to read the other word that they included in something like that. Uh, one person said, I guess working out can be dangerous. I accidentally knocked a Pilates ball into a running treadmill. The ball got sucked through the conveyor path, which created a jolt that knocked the user off the machine. He thankfully was unharmed. It did not try to fight or sue me. So you're starting fights at Pilates? Wow, that is one place to start a fight. Uh, speaking about our favorite drag racer that called in a little bit ago, uh, can I talk about this one story that a lot of people are looking at as what could be a landmark trial? Uh, the Guardian was reporting this first, but the Tesla autopilot trial is going on. And if you have probably been following Tesla, they're a company, electric cars, very popular, most popular, kind of set the standard, I think. People love their vehicles. I'm not a huge Tesla car fan. I think they're way overpriced, and I don't like the ability... Um, that they don't allow you to have the ability to repair your own car. You're out of luck if you need something from a Tesla dealership. It'll take forever to get it done if you even have a Tesla dealership near you. They really are not too friendly when it comes to right to repair. But still, they have this technology that some people pay extra money for, which is the autopilot function. The idea is that the car is so smart, it could use its sensors to drive for you. Now, the idea is that you still have to pay attention to the vehicle, Sometimes you have to keep your hands on the wheel. But technically speaking, they look into the future where you allow the car to drive itself. And then you could be hands off, looking at your phone, watching a movie, whatever it is. And it's a huge luxury for the car to drive itself. They also make the pitch that it's a lot safer because if a bunch of vehicles are making the decisions on the road, it takes out human error. And when you take that out, ultimately it's going to be safer for everyone because the computer could talk to the other computers and the other cars and they can make it safe for everyone. Sure, it raises all kinds of other questions on top of this, ethical questions perhaps. 
some people have looked at the ethical question of the self-driving car to say that if there's an unavoidable accident, is it the car's duty to protect you, the driver, or the other people that are out there? You know what I mean? Is it possible that it's designed to work without your best interest, where it doesn't want to hit someone else, so it puts you in danger? There are those type of questions of how it's programmed. But still, here's the Tesla case. It's a major role in a manslaughter trial. Tesla was being operated by autopilot. The vehicle was operating it, and there was a fatal crash. Someone ended up dying. So it's out there now. And the big question is, who gets in trouble when there is a fatality with a self-driving car? Is it the person behind the wheel? the person that should be paying attention, the person that would normally be driving, or is it the car and the software that is a defect? I've kind of gone both ways on this, but I tend to think that the person behind the wheel needs to pay attention. They may be 25% responsible, but I want to say it's about 75% responsibility of the failed software that led to that fatality. Because at some point, it was either programmed to... Um, it's either programmed itself or maybe the computer itself malfunctioned and maybe the sensors malfunction and that malfunction caused a fatality. Let's say the car accelerated without you putting your, fa- uh, putting your uh, foot on the accelerator. It just zipped out, went full speed. You couldn't stop it, control it. Remember the Toyotas that had those issues some 10 years ago? The computer system overrode everything else and it just went sh- full throttle ahead, and it ended up killing a lot of people. It was actually a really terrible tragedy. With self-driving cars, I think there's going to be instances where the computers are in uh, you know, an error, or maybe there's something else that goes wrong with it, and it's going to be the computer malfunction that caused it. Maybe not necessarily the person behind the wheel. Maybe the person has nothing to do with it. Maybe they did everything they could. Maybe they tried to step in, and it was the computer that overrode them. It could have been all these other, you name it. But when you talk about a landmark case like this, I do believe that ultimately it's going to be the fault of the software in the car. Does that mean that self-driving vehicles are going to be pushed back and that maybe a lot of these other major car companies that are creating these electric vehicles are not going to invest in it because they look at it as a liability less than a convenience for some people? Are they really ready to prepare out major settlements if their car is involved in a fatality, let alone the publicity and the problems that come along with it? 855-616-1620 is the number. Man, look at all of these different people messaging in. My dangerous hobby is taking wildlife photos. Getting close to bears? What are you getting close to bears for? Wow. Uh, One person said they restore vintage guitar amps. It doesn't sound dangerous until you open it up and realize there's over 500 volts inside and a wire insulation has rotted away. Yeah, that'll get you down. All right, uh, we can talk more about that. We can talk self-driving cars. We only got a couple more minutes after the break, and we'll take that now. 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Some of these dangerous hobbies are great. Forging knives is a dangerous hobby. Someone texted that in. Um, yeah, the hunting side of it, of course, when you have loaded firearms, and then depending on what you're consuming, that could factor into some problems. George is on the line. Welcome to WTMJ. What's your dangerous hobby? Uh, I fly airplanes. Ooh. I've got a, uh, a 1946 uh, vintage airplane that I fly. I love it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, some people might think that it's dangerous. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so do you have to 
modify it and try to update it to modern standards, or are you using original parts in some cases? Um, actually, most of the most of it is original. Um, it's been re uh, recovered uh, at least once. So it's a fabric airplane, what they call a rag and tube airplane. It's um, uh, so you, you may have heard of, uh, of Cubs. You know what a Cub is? No. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so this is a it's a high wing uh, certified light sport airplane, but it's uh, an Aronka Champ is the is the make and model. Um, so it's basically you've got a frame, a steel tubular frame, and then a special fabric that uh, that covers most of the airplane, the wings, the uh, uh, the fuselage, the tail. Um, but yeah, I mean they're they're fun fun airplanes. Uh, but it's you know it's fairly old. It's got a wooden spar. Um, oh boy! Have you wife, ever had uh, scary I've... moments? Like, it, has there been a moment where you thought, "Oh, this ain't oh, yeah. gonna end well"? Oh yeah. So uh, every pilot does. Um, the first time I, uh, I soloed in uh, in, rel- in relative turbulence, uh, I didn't think I'd, I was making it back. I said my prayers many times, and when I I got back, I fly out of Timmerman. When I got back. Um, you know, I brought the plane to the hangar. I kissed the ground. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, you said, ah, I'll just go up tomorrow. Like, how long did it take for you to shake that off? Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> you have to. You, it's uh, practice makes perfect. you got to keep going. Wow. How many years have you been That's flying? Good. Not very long, actually. I just got my license um, uh, less than a year in Jan- uh, June. So I've been flying, though, for about a year and, and a half. Got about 150 hours. Wow, you're up there all the time. Where do you fly out of? Like, what's yeah. the? Do you have like a hangar that you park Timmerman. this thing at? Some, yeah. I'm at Timmerman Airport, so uh, okay. I've got a hangar there. I rent the hangar, and I uh, fly almost every day. I have either before work or uh, I go up for lunch a little bit. <laughs> Even lunch. Do you bring fast food up there and eat yeah. while you fly? No, no, no. I uh, yeah, I don't have autopilot, so I've got to have my my, my uh, hand on the stick all the time. Thank you very much, George, for that. I appreciate it. I, I could just imagine George up there, and he's got Shake Shack, and he's just enjoying a nice afternoon up in the sky during his lunch break. <laughs> and they're like, hey, where'd George go? Oh, there he is. Zoom! See him fly on by.